Welcome back to the podcast. And today we're on r slash ask Reddit, where ex-cons of Reddit answer the question, what's the most terrifying thing you saw in prison? And it's pretty fucking terrifying, man. It's, it's really like a terrible, horrifying car crash that you can't look away from. It's a very morbid curiosity type of episode. And usually, you know, I don't have trigger warnings on my episodes, you know, usually I'll say, you know, it's kind of fucked up, but if you don't listen, you're a bitch, your mom's a whore. And that's true. Usually, if you don't listen to my episodes, you're a bitch and your mom's a whore. But on this episode, I'll give you a pass because it's not for everybody. It's really like sad porn for your ears. You know, it's, it'll make you depressed and sad, but also curious and wanting to doom scroll all the way down the fucking tremendously long... 14k comment thread it's crazy it's very interesting it's crazy i don't want to oversell it okay let me just let me say that maybe watch comedy after this and just know it's gonna be okay and whatever you do do not go to fucking prison this next post is from duty professional 4463 My cellmate was truly crazy and tortured by hallucinations. One day he managed to gouge out one of his eyes with a fork at lunch in front of everyone and then puncture the other eye with something before the screws could get to him. He was screaming like a banshee when he ripped out the first one and threw it on the floor and everyone just kind of stared at him in shock. At first it looked like a skit or something, it just wasn't real. After he pulled out his eye, he just went really quiet. Then, he pulled something from his waist and started repeatedly stabbing his last eye with it. I heard a pop. It was terrible. By the time a couple of guards were on him, it was too late. I never saw him again, but I heard he was completely blinded. So, quite a few of us never finished our lunch that day. And some got counseling because it was just so violent and shocking. I still remember a guard picking up the eye with a plastic bag when we were all being filed out. This next post is from Pawnee Danza. When I was 20 years old, I thought I wanted to be a correctional officer. One night, I was sent to work at a medical ward where each inmate had their own isolated cell where they were only let out twice a day. That night, I was going around with the nurse giving the inmates their medicine. And when we came to one inmate's cell, as soon as we opened the door, I was knocked back by the most putrid smell I've ever smelled in my life. I'd been to the dump plenty of times in my life and it was nothing in comparison to the smell this inmate had going on. Once we were done giving out the medicine, I went up to the officer training me and asked him what was going on with that inmate? Why did he smell so god awful? He told me his name was Grady and then he shits and he pisses himself on purpose. He never changes and he never showers and he constantly lives in his own filth. I found out that he was raped once in prison. So he started shitting and pissing himself so he wouldn't get raped anymore. The other officers that I met told me that he was raped while he was previously in prison. I don't know why he was in jail, but when I was there, the officer said he was a convicted child molester, so I'm sure it pertained to that. He did have his own room. He was in the medical ward. He was in the safest place he could be at the time. You see, the medical ward was for people that had medical issues, drug detoxation and psychiatric issues. They separated him from the general population. And every now and then, they would make him take showers. The inmate workforce would have to wear hazmat suits just to clean his room while he was taking a shower. So it wasn't just him that smelled. His entire living quarters smelled as well. 
Even though he was forced to take showers, he would continue to use the bathroom on himself. This next post is from Jai Cobra. Not me, but I spoke to a former inmate after his release who had severe PTSD from some of the things he witnessed while incarcerated. One of the stories was that when he was playing cards with some guys, one of them was smoking a cigarette. Another inmate who was not playing approached the table and asked the guy smoking if he could get the shorts on the cigarette. Now, shorts means before you finish smoking, you give the cigarette to someone else so they can get the last few puffs on the cigarette before putting it out. The smoker agreed and the inmate wandered off and they went back to playing cards. Well, the guy playing cards must have forgotten and finished the cigarette. A little while later, the inmate came back. He came back to the table and he asked for the short. And the guy at the table told him, oh, he'd forgotten about it and he accidentally finished the cigarette. The guy wanders off again and they go back to playing cards. Shortly after, the inmate who wanted the short comes back to the table, but he comes up from behind the player, he pulls his head back and starts shanking him in the eye and throat with a pen. The dude died over forgetting to give someone a damn cigarette butt. This next post is from Juquavis221. My criminal justice professor always used to talk about the million dollar man. Now, the million dollar man was a guy in prison that he used to work at. The prison was old school style setup with multiple floors and a big open part in the middle, kind of like you'd see in the movies. Now to avoid jumpers, they would put chain link fences along the walkways. But one day, this guy managed to squeeze through the fencing on the third floor and then he did a swan dive face first onto the concrete floor below. When everyone rushed to see what happened, they all thought he was dead. Well, until he started making noises. The prisoner was then transferred to the hospital for a year and a half, getting around 12 different surgeries. Eventually, he was released back into the prison, and only on his second month back, he did it again. Swan dived, right off the third floor, face first, right to the concrete. Only this time, he didn't survive. Now, the running joke was that he was named the Million Dollar Man because he had cost taxpayers millions from all his surgeries and all the time he spent in the hospital. Now, our teacher would also like to add every time he told the story that somehow his glasses survived both falls completely fine. This next post is from my ex's stock my Reddit. <laughs> nice name. The violence in prison was nothing compared to the people. The guy who taught me Scrabble, he beat his wife to death with a frying pan when she discovered his gambling debts. The guy who taught me poker, well, he just tied up his employer in the house and when the boss refused to give him the combo to his safe, the guy just simply burned his house down with the boss tied inside, screaming. I also worked out with this guy who was caught with two arms and one leg in his trunk. He was in an Asian gang and he just performed a hit and he was bringing the evidence back to his people for proof when he was pulled over. His co-defendant was snitching on him, so he literally spent all of his time working out to kill the guy the second he got the chance. Before I got shipped to prison, I guess he finally got his shot and essentially ripped the guy's face off in the middle of the hallway in front of the guards. It was a huge fuck up on the cops part, to the point where it was rumored that it was the gang who paid to make sure the snitch died. In prison, you live with all of these people. You play cards with them, you gamble with them, you watch sports with them. If you're locked in your cell for a big game, you listen on the radios together. You talk shit with them through the hatches on the doors. On Wednesdays, you share meals with them if you wanted to chip in your chicken quarter. 
And you know how it's made? It's made by a 22-year-old crip who's been charged with nine separate murders. And he is seemingly the nicest person you would ever meet in your life. It's fucking wild, man. I mean, nothing makes sense and everything is dangerous. You're in this together, but at the same time, everyone has all sorts of rage just ready to blow. I had aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, as well as a separate case of unlawful possession of a firearm. So I had the pleasure of going to the max unit. Interestingly enough though, the threat of constant danger actually helped to keep things kind of calm most of the time. Everyone's a killer and nobody wants to be killed type of vibes. You know, once I actually got stabbed with a Dixon pencil, but that was from Richard Bisbee, Mr. Tie My Boss Up and Burn Him Alive. It was over a gambling debt that he owed me. He's old and he's weak and I ultimately took twice what he owed me and you know, we were back at the table playing poker that very same day. Google his name if you'd like, I believe he had an appeal denied or some shit. Either way, you're either one of them or you live underneath them. And once you're one of them, they're surprisingly and frighteningly good-natured and decent to kill a few years time with. This next post is from The Revolutionary. I actually have a few stories to share and this is story number one. One day I was playing chess and I heard a huge thwack, bang. I turn around and I see this black dude. He looked about 60 and he had a seizure while he was standing up and he fell on the metal seat at our table. Blood was absolutely gushing out of this dude's head. Now I have a friend with epilepsy, so I knew to put him in the recovery position and to keep away from his mouth. When the COs finally showed up, they shackled and they cuffed him while he was still seizing. And as he convulsed, the cuffs cut into his wrists and his ankles very deeply. I just started yelling at them. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Get a gurney, call 911. They just told us to go to lockdown on our bunks and to shut the fuck up or we're going to seg. Of course, no one shut up. They can't take us all. They instead ushered the entire pod into the outdoor rec area, a 30 by 15 enclosed room with a four inch slit 10 foot above for fresh air. And they kept us all out there. I watched this dude seize for another 15 minutes. We all did. We just looked upon him in horror as blood pooled all around him from his head to his wrist and his ankles all mangled. They eventually took him out and I never saw him again. I'm almost certain that he died and we stayed locked up in the yard for four hours until we were threatened to never discuss it. And story number two. In another unit that very same month, a guard superplexed a dude who had weighed maybe 110 pounds soaking wet just for talking back to him. The guy actually broke his neck and died. You can actually find this story online by searching WCDC body slam death. The guard was charged with manslaughter, but I'm not sure if he was convicted. And story number two. I was playing Scrabble, just waiting for the phones to open up. A dude was on the phone with his wife and his kids, and then he just started to lose his shit all of a sudden. He started yelling in the most gut-wrenching, heartbreaking way. No, no, no! The guards were like, hey, calm down now. Apparently, while he was on the phone, someone did a drive-by on his house. They shot his wife and they killed one of his children. The guards just snatched the phone from him, threw him on the ground, restrained him, and took him to Seg, where there are no phones. 
the guy was just weeping, saying he just heard his baby get killed on the phone. They took him to SAG, and we never saw him again either. This next post is from WB, but in a good way. I once saw boiling hot peanut butter dumped on a sleeping child molester's face. The screaming and the thrashing, it was pretty intense. The idea is that you can't wipe it off or something to, to mitigate the damage it caused. It's going to burn and it's going to burn deeply. And in my opinion, that was way worse than watching a guy on the bench press take a 35 kilo plate smashed against his skull repeatedly. He was dead pretty quickly, but the peanut butter burn, it's permanent disfigurement and it will leave months of pain and suffering. By the way, they were able to heat the peanut butter up because they have access to microwaves. Or they'll just make little resistant type heaters with a cord and a fingernail clipper. It's called a stinger. You should be shocked how much ingenuity is in the prison system. Tattoo guns from beard trimmers, solder iron from pencils, and a DC adapter, etc. This next post is from Abysnellio. I don't know if this counts, but my dad was in prison with Richard Speck. If you don't know who he is, he's an American mass murderer who brutally raped and killed eight nurses. My dad told me during his time in prison, Speck bragged constantly about what he did, all the time really. He said prison was a wonderful vacation for him and he would do it all over again if he had the chance. He would go even as far as saying how much he loved to kill those women. So sickening to hear. I guess Speck also made porn in prison, which is, uh, I'm sure is on the internet somewhere. The Great Cornholio682 adds to the post saying, Bill Curtis made a scandal by exposing a video taken from inside Juliet Prison in which we see Speck shooting drugs and blowing other inmates to get some. Evidently, he also had hormones smuggled into prison to grow himself some visible breasts, ostensibly to peddle himself around to the other inmates. He also visibly bragged about the murders. He shared he had no feelings about killing those nurses. I guess he was having the time of his life behind bars. This next post is from Give Your Apples Thanks. I was sitting in the TV room in the feds. The inmate phones in this particular institution are situated in little phone booths. No idea why, but on the move, a guy ran up in the housing unit and stabbed the guy 15 times or so in the booth. Three in the face, at least. Dude couldn't go anywhere. He slumped immediately. And the second story I have, it's kind of crazy. You see, two guys in the kitchen made a bet that one of them wouldn't go through the commercial dishwasher. The guy took the bet and he went through. And you know what? He came out the other side, a human-sized blister. 100% of his skin was blistered and full of juice. He was then airlifted out in a bubble wrap suit to the hospital. I was fresh in at the time and I was working in the kitchen when this happened, but I wasn't in the dish room. The blood curdling screaming, however, as the dishwasher cycled, still gives me goosebumps 10 years later. And I can't unsee what a human covered in blisters looks like. Now, I don't know if he survived or not. They don't give updates to inmates. I do know though, the guy who bet him to go in the dishwasher, he was hit with fresh charges and he got in a lot of trouble. So OP further elaborates about this story in the comments and he answers a lot of questions. So I'm just gonna go ahead and read those. So the guy that went through the dishwasher had some sort of mental disability. I don't know as I never met the guy, but if I had to guess, I'd say he was on the spectrum. 
you know, it was sort of malicious. It was a malicious type of thing where the other guys in the dish room were kind of putting him up to it. But the guy who turned on the dishwasher after he got inside was the one who was charged with attempted murder. Noir Gamester says, Jesus, that is horrifying. Industrial dishwashers need to reach a temp of 185 degrees for sanitation purposes to ensure that any bacteria or germs get heat sourced to prevent any food poisoning from poor cleaning sanitation. This guy was boiled alive, man. And then people in the comments are kind of like speculating how long the dishwasher cycle went on for. They say a normal cycle is between like 30 and 60 seconds, but OP says, I don't know, but once the scream started, whichever guard was in earshot, he would have hit the button and called the radio a body alarm. When this happens, everyone goes into lockdown. For kitchen workers, that meant out of the kitchen into the dining area and sitting at a table with their hands on the table until further instruction. Now, I couldn't see in the dish room. I could only hear him scream until I assume he passed out. Then I saw him rolled out on a stretcher to the bubble wrap at the helicopter and that was it. Dr. Drillinfill says, thank you for the details. It's crazy to think this all goes unreported, but crazy shit happens all the time in prisons. It's like hell. OP then says, yes, it is crazy. Hey, crazy tidbit for you guys. You will almost definitely get a new charge and more time for having a cell phone. Now, this includes getting sent back to court and sentenced for more time and then going to a new prison. However, if you just stab someone and you don't kill them, the likelihood of getting a new charge is very small because the Bureau of Prisons doesn't want violence in their statistics. It will just be handled in-house. This next post is from Miley's Moose Knuckle. <laughs> what the fuck? Not prison, but a courthouse holding cell. I was in for a drunken fight myself, as was pretty much all of the other eight guys I was sharing the cell with. You know, as all of us were worn out, hungover, or just shaking for a fix, except for this one guy. He was acting happy. He was acting happy because he was the first one in, and his words were, I'm going to be the first one out, and the first one to get a smoke. Which he was happy about. Now, being locked up in those cells, is it's not rare for people to chat, but since we all had been in solitary police station holding cells before, you know, usually, the what are you in for type of talk started. Well, this happy guy, he didn't know what he'd done, but he did know he couldn't remember the last couple of days, so he assumed it was like drunken behavior of, of some sort. He was the first one to see his lawyer, and when he came back, he was white as a sheet. He wasn't talking to anyone, he was just staring at the wall until one of the guys went up to talk to him. It turns out he got blind drunk and he had Valium on him. He got into a fight and he lost. He went home, and then he came back with a kitchen knife and a kettle full of sugar water. He stabbed a random guy and then threw the kettle into the bar, scalding multiple people. Plus, the guy he stabbed was in the hospital in critical condition, and he was up on multiple accounts of assault with intent to injure. Serious bodily harm, possession of a deadly weapon, possession of a controlled substance, and attempted murder. He was not going to be the first one out for a smoke, and he was looking at a long prison sentence. He went from cock of the walk to hollow in all of 20 minutes. I'd seen this shit before, but I've never seen someone get the look of having their entire life lost like that. This next post is from Smooth Corrector. Not myself, but a friend did seven and a half years at a notoriously violent prison. Now I'm just going off memory now, but there is a canteen area where you go to buy things. You can only go at certain hours of the day or, or something like that. Now they had these inmates called PCs or protective custodies. 
Usually they are criminals who are pedophiles. Anyways, to get to the canteen, you have to walk through a hallway that has security doors on both ends, and the other end is the canteen just past the door. PCs were only allowed to walk to the canteen at a specific time for their own safety. I can't remember why, but this one time they had to go with the general population, the PCs had to walk through the long hallway with them. During this walk, suddenly, the prison went into lockdown. All the doors in the prison locked, including the doors behind and in front of them. I don't remember if he said that there was a guard there or not, but it doesn't really matter. There was no way for the PCs to escape, and the general population inmates, well, they took their opportunity to beat the living hell out of those PCs in the lockdown hallway. There were multiple severe injuries and one death. My friend wasn't a part of the brutality, but they were knocking out teeth and breaking their fingers, laughing as they told them to pick up their teeth with their broken fingers, making them eat their own and each other's blood, stripped them naked, and started pissing on them. One PC was beaten so bad he went to a coma and passed away only a day later. Others had broken legs, arms, etc. What troubled me quite a bit was my friend telling me how much blood was everywhere. It had stained the floors and the walls. Hence how it got its nickname from then on, Blood Alley. This next post is from Stoner Fairy. I work in jails across the country. There are many unsettling moments, violence between inmates, suicide, psychosis. I remember trying to teach a nurse one day that had an inmate who kept screaming at me, put your eyeballs back in your head, bitch. They're rolling around on the floor. But the moment that sticks out by far for me was one day I was helping a doctor. When she's helping her patients, I try to stay out of the rooms, try to stay out of the way so I'm not interfering with her work. Now, for some reason, the specific patient that she was working on stuck out in my mind beforehand. Though I see hundreds a day during MedPass where I follow a nurse from cell to cell, I specifically remember seeing this man. He was relatively young and he was very polite, which kind of stuck out to me. He always said, hello ma'am, how are you, thank you, please, etc. I remember looking at his chart to see what his name was. I rarely remember names. I actually feel better to not remember their names. Anyways, I'm standing in the hallway outside the doctor's office when another patient who is sitting on a bench nearby is waiting to be seen says to me, stay away from that motherfucker. He's crazy. I just, I laughed because it's one inmate telling me to stay away from another inmate. I don't even let anybody stand behind me or within five feet of me. My laughing changed when his tone did. He got more serious and his voice raised in intensity. No, I'm serious. Stay away from that motherfucker. He is crazy. Okay, point taken. I nod my head and in that moment I am thankful for the COVID masks that hide my reaction. And not a moment later, the corrections officer comes waltzing down the hallway, swinging his keys in one hand and whistling. Oh! Hey, that's body bag lag. Now I changed his name for privacy reasons. My eyes immediately widened. I Googled him later and that man had a girlfriend. She got pregnant. She didn't let him see the baby when it was born and he wanted custody. And do you know what body bag lag did? Well, he and his family, his mom, his dad, and his brother, well, they planned and successfully executed all 10 of the pregnant lady's family members. Anyone who could have possibly gotten the baby before he would have received custody. 
And maybe I'm misremembering, but I think it worked. I believe he had custody of the kid for a while until he himself came forward and confessed. He threw his whole family under the bus and accepted his punishment. I think he became super religious or something. The guilt got to him. I remember his cell always had like a hundred crosses taped to the walls. Now, I've had scarier moments in jail. Whole cells going on lockdown because they see a pretty girl working. Lots of people actually jerk off at you. But body bag lag, he will always stick out to me. This next post is from Dolly Princess B. I was inside a female prison, so my perspective is a little different. For one, all prisons are different, from county level to state and federal. I was in state for most of my time. A couple of things that were pretty terrifying was, uh, for one, the amount of sex between guards and inmates. It, it was ridiculous. It was, uh, in quotes, consensual in that they both said yes, but it can never really be consensual when it's a guard and an inmate. The power difference, it's just too much. You couldn't really say no either. It's not the guards that would retaliate, it's that they wouldn't protect you when another inmate or group of inmates attacked you. But the really creepy thing in mine was a pedophile lady. She was a lifer. No one actually messed with her because it seemed like the guards were all on her side for reasons we suspected. She was also really friendly to new inmates, particularly younger looking petite inmates for reasons you can imagine. They were owned by her if they let them. Like a small gang in jail. They all had the same prison tattoo. Which I didn't really realize till I was in the shower one day with a couple of them. This next post is from CV Board Gamer. A family friend worked as a CEO in a couple of different prisons in Southern California. He once told me that one of the saddest things that he saw was that a lot of the inmates, they don't realize what their true talents or gifts or passions are until that they're behind bars already and it's already too late. He's seen inmates who were amazing artists, as good as Disney animators. He saw inmates in the electric shop that were so gifted they could have easily been electrical engineers, mathematicians, or at least electricians. It came so easy to them. He saw inmates in the wood shop who were gifted woodworkers. He's seen inmates who could easily have been chemists, writers, mechanics, teachers, chefs, barbers, tattoo artists, personal trainers, and on and on and on. A lot of these guys should have been productive members of society, but they got dealt a bad hand at the start of their lives, and they just went down a wrong path because they had a bad upbringing. He said the wasted potential was just, it was just heartbreaking. This next post is from Joe's Bag of Donuts. As an attorney, I saw this guy who'd been a serial killer. He was targeting teen girls. He was asking for help with the sentence because he was sentenced to life in solitary, an obviously illegal sentence that wasn't being enforced. But even the most dedicated nonprofit defense attorneys, they refused to help him. But they sure as fuck didn't tell it to his face though. This guy was fucking huge, like a pro wrestler type of shape. He was white, clean cut, handsome, relaxed, and personable. But inside, inside he was a subhuman monster, a raper, a killer of young girls. His soulless eyes are some of the scariest things I've ever seen. If you saw him on the street, he looked perfectly normal. Unless you looked into his eyes. They were crazy and they were empty. Like his whole face was saying, hey, how's it going? But his eyes were howling and screaming incoherent, panicked nonsense. This next post is from Candy Dane Co. 93. 
This is going to take some time explaining, so I'm sorry if it's on the long side. Now, I was in a medium and low risk facility in New York State for women for almost a year. Medium and low risk, it means the crimes of the women typically aren't violent or something most would consider heinous or serious. Now, there's a maximum security prison in Bedford Hills for those type of offenses. But let's say you committed murder, and after a while of being in the facility, you never got into trouble. And you never got a ticket by an officer, you weren't involved in any fights, you weren't caught with any contraband, you did your assigned duties, you kept your room clean, and a bunch of other things to being a good inmate. Eventually, you would have your status lowered, and you could be transferred to a lower risk facility. It also works the other way around. Whereas you get into fights, you're caught with drugs, you're cheeking meds, or you're put into lock or SHU, you might face the possibility of being sent to Bedford. While I was there, it was the height of the COVID epidemic, and the facility went from housing about 1,000 females to less than 400. They were sending everyone home that they could, which also meant some leeway and guidelines changed concerning the evaluation of other inmates, the, the inmates that were so-called high risk level. So some girls from Bedford, they were transferred to the lower risk facilities. Usually they wouldn't have met the criteria to do so before the pandemic. This was, I'm sure, done in an effort to consolidate costs to the state. Anyways, on Tuesdays, you get the new girls, first entering the system for the first time or transfers. One dorm in particular, the J dorm, received a massive influx of transfers in a relatively quick period. In every dorm, there's a box, like a plastic utility box or a toolbox with a lock on it and it sits next to the officer's desk. Now, what's in the box? It contains the cleaning chemicals for the dorm. And with COVID, the facility was being extremely serious with all the cleaning regimens. So each dorm was required to clean to prevent illness and such. The box is always supposed to be locked and you need the officer to unlock it as it contains bleach and other chemicals, but it typically isn't as you have girls who have jobs during different periods of the day and it's mandatory to do the chores in the dorm that you're assigned or you will be ticketed and face disciplinary actions or just want to clean their room so it wasn't usually a pain in the ass to the officers to have to unlock it and lock it back up multiple times in the day. In the dorms, we also had hot plates to cook on. I don't know what circumstances led to this fight, but two of the girls from Bedford ended up taking a spray bottle of bleach and boiled it on the burners, while most of the other women were out of the dorm because they had jobs during the day or classes. Now, I want to say there was about 10 of us there at the time. I was on the phone with my boyfriend and I could smell the odor even though they were right next to an open window boiling it. But no one was saying anything to them or really asking what they were doing and I didn't know it was bleach at the time. As I'm on the phone, I see these two girls constantly looking over their shoulders towards the glass window at the officer where he's sitting. As I was on the phone, I watched these two girls walk into the bathroom. Then I hear a lot of yelling and swearing. I hear a truly terrible sound ring from the bathroom, a splash at the tile floor, and then I realized that they just threw boiling liquid on some poor girl. The officer goes sprinting into the bathroom while all of us in the dorm, we just stop what we're doing. The injured girl screamed and screamed and it was horrifying. I was shaking and you would have thought someone was dying. I didn't sleep right for weeks and I can still hear her when I think of this. The two who attacked her were instantly put into SHU and they were charged. And the injured girl, she was brought to the hospital outside the facility. Now, this was the most horrible thing I witnessed in my time in prison and it's something that'll haunt me forever. This next post is from Roz Lynn. 
This story is technically my aunt's story, but it's terrifying nonetheless. When she was in prison, her roommate was very mentally ill. They don't really have good systems set up to help, so this woman was medicated, heavily medicated. She said she woke up to the sound one night of some wet eating sound. She looked and she saw her roommate with her arm cut open, pulling out and eating fat from her arm. She immediately called for help and they took her to the med and stitched her up. Then, a few days later, they just put her back in the room. Sure enough, my aunt woke up again to the noise because, uh, well, her mentally ill roommate had once again ripped open her stitches and went to town on her arm fat. Now, I don't know what happened after this, but when she told me, I was mortified. Whereas my auntie, well, she was just kind of laughed it off and she said it was just gross. This next post is from True Shot 5. Not an ex-con, but an ex-prison guard. Now, I've seen a couple things in my life that are kind of horrible, but there is no worst thing among these. Number one, working at a mentally ill prison, I saw one of these prisoners who would shove a small rubber pen down his urethra. Yeah, you heard me right. I said a small rubber pen down his urethra. Whenever he wouldn't get what he wanted, he would do this. So this was his tantrum of sorts. Now, he was often restricted from these items, but sometimes he would get them from other inmates, or he would just go long stretches without doing the incident, and then when he was trusted, in quotes, he would do it again. Number two, same prison, different guy. So this guy, he cut up his chest, he cut up his belly, his arms, and his thighs. He was trying to bleed out, with his guts hanging out. We had to fight him just to get him out of his cell for treatment, all the while slipping in his blood. And number three took place at a non-mentally ill prison. Now the worst thing I saw here was our commanding officer make the call that a guy who was found dead in his cell with rigor mortis already set in to, in quotes, have a heartbeat still. That way he could justify driving him off grounds to be cleared dead at the hospital, not on the grounds. Now there's way, way less paperwork this way and it's super corrupt and fucked up. This next post is from Imazoni. I had a coworker who was a prison guard for John Wayne Gacy. You might know him as the killer clown. Apparently he was normally very calm, nicely mannered inmate, but one day she's alone with him in his cell going over some paperwork regarding his sentence. And he just looked over her with these dark shark eyes and said, how many times do you think I could stab you with this pen before the other guards got here? She said it was the most uncomfortable thing she'd ever been in her entire life. And this woman worked in max security section of Chicago prison for 20 years. This next post is from Poopy Butthead 27. So I was documenting a scared straight style program. And in my opinion, this one was a bit more on the fucked up end. So the kids met a guy named Rick. Rick was super sweet. He was a very nice individual, very friendly, very confident, and very expressive. He told jokes with a huge smile on his face. And he asked the kids, you know why I'm here? The kids say, no. He says, because I killed and ate my entire family at your age. He then proceeded to tell them exactly how we did it right up to their little faces. Still very charismatic, still very nice and everything. Never have I ever been so scared of an individual person in my entire fucking life. This next post is from Alpha2110. My first and last stay in prison was at the Indiana Department of Corrections. 
It was a nightmare that I will suffer for the rest of my life, and honestly, it changed me for the worse. Now, after being classified, I was transferred from RDC, Reception Diagnostic Center, to Westville Correctional Facility, also known as Partyville. Now, this prison has horrendous stories and has even been investigated multiple times by the FBI for violence. Also, it's heavily segregated due to the high level of racism and violence. I then met with the classification officer and I was given information on where I was staying. When I walked into the housing dorm and I approached the guard to inquire where my bunk was, the officer just looked me up and down. When he saw I was white, our eyes met. I've never seen such fear in someone's eyes before. In an instant he was out from his desk, he grabbed me so fast and he literally dragged me from the dorm. In that instant I lost everything because I wasn't expecting it, I dropped everything. He dragged me outside the hallway and pinned me to the wall. The guard got on his radio and literally started yelling for a white hat, an officer needs assistance. Within minutes, the hallway was full of other officers, and finally, a white hat. It was then when I was looking around, I noticed I was the only white guy in the hallway and dorm. Okay, so OP keeps saying white hat, and he's talking about an officer with a white hat. I don't know if it means a higher level officer, that's part of his uniform, they call them white hats or something, and that's some kind of terminology. I don't know, I googled it, I couldn't fucking find anything. Maybe it's just as simple as a guy who's not white, but has a white fucking hat. I don't know why this is confusing me so much, but I was getting really irritated at reading it. So, I'm glad I cleared that up, and I'm sure no one else is as uh, confused as I was on that. But, uh, anyway... Let's, uh, let's move forward. Now that, now that we've established that the guy that they call White Hat is an officer who's not white, but has a white hat and OP is the only white in the room. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's go. The White Hat yelled at me, asking what I was doing there. I showed him my paperwork. The White Hat started talking over his radio, inquiring as to why a white was being housed in an all-black dorm. I couldn't believe what I heard over the radio. Apparently, it was April 1st and the classification officer thought it would be funny to house a white in an all-black violent dorm with high security risk level inmates. Yeah, very, very funny. Yeah, and I was level one, the lowest security level. I should have never been housed in Westville to begin with. And it's not over. The incident should have been a warning of what was coming next. I was finally then transferred to Miami Correctional Facility behind the gate. Remember, I was level 1, so I should have been housed at level 1 facility outside the gate. Later, it was discovered that the classification officer at the facility, well, he misread my paperwork. Within two days, I was confronted and asked to see my paperwork. Well, I had nothing to hide, and I knew what they were looking for, but it didn't matter. I was serving four years for burglary. I handed over my paperwork, and then I heard the words no male in prison wants to hear. The guy I handed over the paperwork to, he said that my paperwork was fake and that I printed it in the law library. That I was a child molester. That I even looked like one. Then, out of the blue, someone said that the people on the outside even verified that I was one. All I could think at that moment was, how in the hell is my paperwork fake? How in the hell could I have printed it out in the law library, seeing I haven't even stepped into one yet? And this is my first and only criminal offense. I have no record of anything else. Before I knew it, I was out. I didn't remember anything. I woke up in the infirmary three months later. I was beaten so badly. I had multiple concussions. I had a broken nose, broken jaw, orbital socket, teeth, hands, 
three ribs broken and leg. I was stabbed six times. I ended up serving the rest of my time in protective custody. According to the guard I spoke to, some of the inmates involved were told later that they were wrong about my conviction and paperwork. The inmate's response was, well, you look like one, you look like a child molester, so it must make you one. Too bad for me. According to the guard, that was true of the inmate's way of thinking and prison rules. Even if you're not a child molester and your paperwork clears you, you better hope you don't look like one. And how has all this changed me? Well, I seriously distrust men now. Well, people in general. I've bulked up, I've learned a boxing, among other things. I'm quick to anger and quick to defend myself. I have a serious hatred for men now. I'll strike first to ensure nothing bad happens to me. I've grown a beard, I've got tattoos, I make sure to dress in such a way to ensure that nobody thinks that I look like a child molester. I've stayed clear of breaking the law, barely. But I have been told I've become a hard asshole now. This next post is from NikkiXO87. So I'm a woman and I was locked up in county jail for quite a while. Every time someone comes in and deals with drugs or paraphernalia, it's a big deal. And depending on who you are and how you handle the situation, it can end very bad for that person. One time a girl, she was in her early 20s, came in with a meth pipe. She was very open about this and let everyone in the pod use it. Well, just a few hours later, she asked for it back and she said she was rolling out to a different pod. The major problem with this is that the pipe was now full of someone else's meth. And before I knew it, about 10 different girls lined up and jumped her. It was a free for all. It was terrifying. She was screaming for help, but no one came. Then two women took her into the bathroom and they closed the door. Now, the thing is about jail and prison is that there's really only one place that you're going to put something that you want to hide on you. And that's inside of you. So a few minutes later, the two come out and they're wiping blood off their hands. Well, the girl got her pipe back. A few minutes later, the girl comes out of the bathroom crying with blood on her pants, soaked with blood. She gets the deputy's attention this time. She was pregnant, she said. She had a miscarriage in the jail and they released her due to the incident. This next post is from Zodo12. Clyde Barrow of Bonnie and Clyde fame was sentenced to hard time for robbery at East Ham Prison, Texas. A prison so hard and so cruel it gained to the name the Bloody Ham. Guards would never intervene with the prisoners unless someone was actively getting murdered. And even then, they didn't really care. To keep order, they employed especially psycho prisoners as building tenders to beat the rest into submission. Ed Crowder was one such man. He was a sadistic rapist who preyed on the smallest guy in the room. Clyde was famously scrawny and little, and he was incredibly tenacious. For 10 months, Crowder brutally raped Clyde. The other prisoners were just happy they weren't the ones getting targeted. Eventually, Clyde had enough. He got into contact with another building tender, a lifer called Scally, who hated Crowder as much as Clyde did. Clyde told Scally he was going to kill Crowder. Scally told him that he would take the blame for the murder as he was doing life anyway. And well, one night Clyde sauntered past Crowder's bunk and he walked alone into the showers, a prime target. Crowder then lurched at him, cornering Clyde with a smirk. Well, Clyde took out a concealed lead pipe and destroyed Crowder's skull. 
Scally then came in out of the shadows and shanked the body several times, giving himself an intentional slash on the ribs. The guards thought it was an open and shut case and Clyde got away with it. It was his first murder. He was very grateful to Scally for taking the rap and promised to break him out. And a few years later, he stayed true to his word. Now in the middle of his crime spree with Bonnie, they raided the prison with machine guns. Freeing five prisoners in the process, they planned a mass breakout, but Clyde particularly wanted to free Scally. Unfortunately for him, he was not freed. This next post is from Lies Dexic. I've only been to county, but in a cell, I think it's much easier than a pod. Now, the way it worked is if you had to take a shit, you let your celly know so they could step out to the day room for a bit. Or if you were on lockdown, you'd usually hang up a sheet so that you couldn't be seen. Or if that wasn't possible, it's common courtesy to tell your celly that you got a shit so they can turn over and give you some privacy. I gotta say, it'll never not be weird telling another grown man that you need to take a shit though. This next post is from Bippity Boppity Bumbo. I once saw a dude get thrown in the hole for pure amusement. This dude was so excited about seeing his newborn kid for the first time. He only found out that his girl was pregnant a few weeks before his sentencing, and he happened to mention it where a guard overheard. So they just threw him an SHU for nothing and they laughed about it. The thing about SHU is you can't get visits in there. You can't use phones, you can't write letters, and as a prisoner, there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, you can write a grievance, but the same people reading them are the same people that you're writing them about. It was a couple weeks before he got out, then quite a while before he got visitation privileges back, and a few more weeks before his wife could even make the trip again. Just awful people. This next post is from Missy May Penn. Not me, but my dad. He went to prison at 20. He walked into his cell one day and he found his cellmate hanging. He cut him down and he did CPR. When his cellmate woke up, he was furious. He told him that he'd mind his own business next time if he knew what was good for him. Then his cellmate, he unalived himself a few days later. This next post is from OK Establishment 8325. My bunkie was a tiny little woman in her 40s with crazy eyes who would sit on top of her bunk and chant for all hours of the night. Now, she had a reputation for being very, very nuts and just straight up weird. Needless to say, 20-year-old me was freaked out. Freaked the fuck out. And when I moved into the cell with her, she was on the top bunk, me in the bottom. And she did, in fact, sit up at all hours of the night chanting and talking to herself. I called my mom one night and she pulled out her case information. Allegedly, my bunkie was serving 40 plus years for stabbing a boyfriend in the ear with a screwdriver, along with a handful of other charges. Fast forward a few weeks, this woman and I became closer than I ever imagined possible. Well, not sexually or romantically, but she became more like an overprotective mother bear to me. So much so that I started calling her mama bear, and she called me baby bear. And she made sure everybody knew to leave baby bear alone. Every night, I took my shower at the same time, after chow. By the time I got out, Mama Bear would usually be back from her Zumba classes and she would just jump right in after me. So, one night, Mama Bear is still out, when this big bitch just cuts in front of me for the shower. Now, the shower line, it's a pretty big deal in there, so nobody usually cuts each other. But you know what, I really didn't care. I wasn't in a hurry and I figured that I would just take mine right after Mama. Then, Mama Bear walked in. 
The first thing she asked me was why I didn't take my shower yet. I explained the situation and I calmly told her that, you know, someone else got in before me, but it was okay and I would just shower later. It was not okay. Not okay at all. Mama Bear then got the craziest, the craziest look in her eyes and says to no one in particular, nobody fucking cuts Mama Bear or Baby Bear. And she said it just like that. I follow her and she's storming towards the bathroom. This woman then goes into a blind rage and then proceeds to rip off her clothes, rip down the shower curtain, and then climb into the shower with the bitch you cut in front of me. This whole time, Mama Bear isn't blinking, while the bitch is just looking stunned like, what the fuck is going on? Then, Mama Bear, while staring into this woman's soul, snatches the soap right out from this bitch's hand, starts soaping herself up while screaming at her, you wanna cut me and my bunkie? You wanna take your turn? You wanna take mine? Oh no, nah, bitch, now nah, we're showering this motherfucker together then, ho. The big bitch, she didn't even wash off. She just grabbed her towel and she ran the fuck out of there as fast as she could. Mama Bear then finished her shower and then went to play cards like nothing ever happened. Now, needless to say, nobody ever cut me in the showers ever again. Mama Bear was definitely certified fucking nuts. But boy, did I grow to love her. Absolutely the best bunkie I could have ever gotten. Maybe even have to look her up in 27 years when she gets out. You know what, OP? I like Mama Bear. She asserted her dominance in not even a super violent way. You know, it was just like, <laughs> we're in a shower together, bitch. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of wonder whether Mama Bear, maybe she's just really smart. And she just like plays this whole crazy crazy act right she's chanting in the middle of the night and everyone's just like fuck i'm staying away from that crazy fucking bitch and actually she's just super smart and just playing a role or you know maybe she is fucking crazy but she's also very sweet at the same time i don't know this next post is from ip stevo obligatory not a con but my brother did work at a hospital near a prison well one day while he was there an inmate was admitted for an infection around a stoma where his colostomy bag was. Long story short, he had been letting dudes use his stoma for um, sexual relief in exchange for commissary. And he had not only infected it, but also had chlamydia in his stomach cavity. <laughs> Guy Cobra down in the comments gives us a very not fun fact that we don't really need to know but is also interesting and that we should probably know that we don't really need to know and that if you don't want to listen to this or need to know this then don't listen to this part he says i work at a hospital that has a contract with a local prison and i can confirm this is a hell of a lot more common than you would have imagined not sure why but here it's referred to as a <clears throat> a philly sidecar now, I could have lived my whole life not knowing what that was, but misery loves company, and knowledge is power. This next post is from Suspicious Arcadia 548 My brother was in a UK prison. Now, my brother, he could hold his own in a fight, and he came up in a pretty rough area. He ended up working his way up the ranks in prison, and I'm going to tell you two of the stories that he told me. Number one. My brother had OCD, amongst many other mental health issues, so he collected sanitary products. He had to have a few of each at any given time, but he would sell them too in exchange for cigs and stuff. He had a lot of different stuff, all good, you know, he worked in a prison to afford them. 
Well, the guards didn't really like that he was making bank. They didn't like that he had his own team of sellers and buyers, and they tried to shut him down. Now, it wasn't illegal or anything, but they rushed my brother's cell. They messed everything up and they took everything. They gutted it bare. So, you know what he did? He organized a revolt, which essentially ended in a 12-hour standoff with him and some others chilling on the roof of the prison, refusing to come down. He even peed on an officer when they tried to climb up outside the building to get him. And number two, they found out some guy was soon to be released into Genpop. Previously, he was in solitary and he was a pedo and a rapist on multiple counts. He was boasting about it to the guards, so the guards spoke about it in hearing distance to the inmates in Gen Pop, even specifying the guard change. Long story short, that scum ended up disabled, with no eyes, no penis, and a very sore ass. So many inmates were involved in it that they couldn't just punish one person for it, but they were forced to show that they would do something. My brother and a couple other inmates had a few months added onto their sentence for it, but that was it. This next post is from Afraid Department 51. Not prison, but jail. There was this kid in the cell next to me, Velcro jackets if you know what I mean. No older than 20. I swear, I'm guessing he had schizophrenia or something. But the guards taunted him relentlessly until the kid tried to kill himself by bashing his head against a wall. Then they tackled him to the ground and restrained him to a chair, while the nurse was called over. They kept taunting the poor kid, and I'm guessing he broke part of the chair while struggling. So, then they started yelling at him about how he destroyed government property, and how he was going to get another charge, and how'd there even be even longer there, and blah blah blah. Which of course, it sent him into another spiral of rage and suicidal panic. And it just carried on like that with him, taunting him into attempting suicide just for the fun of it. And the poor kid was so desperate to kill himself that he started swallowing pieces of plastic and batteries, really whatever he could find. For me, the worst part is that I couldn't actually see most of what happened, but I could hear it. It was so fucked up and there was nothing I could do but just sit there and listen to some kid being relentlessly tormented to the point of absolutely losing his mind. This next post is from Yes, Seriously Now. Yeah, so I've seen people getting beat to death. I've also seen someone get stabbed 57 times with a piece of steel that was probably ripped off a bunk drawer or some shit. Anyhow, booze was my thing in prison. You know, I can make alcohol out of almost anything. And once I got wine, I'm not really far off from making liquor. I just need the guards to fuck off for four hours or so so I can burn it. While I was doing my thing, I saw some massive drug deals happen inside. I saw tons of cell phones, people playing Xbox, hacking into almost anything they could if they can get a modern Wi-Fi card from the outside. Prison's pretty crazy. I mean, you'd see guards getting fucked, nurses getting fucked, even nurses getting pregnant by a guy on the inside. You'd see tattoos going for 500 bucks that would easily cost 3 to 5k on the street. Guards would also beat the shit out of people, like until they were brain dead. Gaines would retaliate and one would riot. But yeah, don't go to prison and you got nothing to worry about. That being said, if you do happen to find yourself in prison, 50 bucks a week should about cover it. Just stay in your lane, mind your own business, and do not owe anybody money under any circumstances and you should be, well, probably okay. This next post is from Monster Hunter Relias. 
once had an inmate brought into our hospital after sustaining injuries in a fight. He kept silent the whole time and refused to answer any questions about the fight, and he kept his hands neatly folded in his lap as much as the handcuffs allowed. The big guy didn't move a muscle to hinder us from getting our job done. We did the x-ray and we actually saw some stuff in his stomach, so the doctor asked the tech to take a picture of his abdomen. He asked the guy if he swallowed anything recently. The man just blinked twice, so we rushed him to CT to get a clearer view. He had multiple perforations in his gut from the objects he swallowed, being pushed around and against his stomach and intestines during the fight. After an emergent trip to the OR, seven or eight items had been removed inside plastic Easter eggs that were all broken and the contents inside ejected. Two of those items happened to be razor blades, one had which gone straight through his stomach. A huge graduation class ring, a sharp-edged gift shop, gemstone, a necklace, and a handful of partially digested tablets. Yet, after all that, he never complained of the pain, despite having a broken hand, multiple rib fractures, and his insides literally digesting himself. He was in our ICU for a couple of months with loads of drains and wound vacuums until he was stable enough and recovered enough to stay the night in our surgical floor and he went back to prison. Now, I'm pretty shocked he survived and the medical costs were easily past the million dollar mark. This next post is from the Toucan Skeletor. It was the first week of my 18 month sentence and I was actually 18, I had just turned 18 a few weeks before. Now, I was taking a shower with relatively few people, two plus myself. Suddenly, one guy leaves and two more come in, bigger guys. While that's happening, the guard leaves and I hear the door lock. They rush over to the other guy who was there and the two dudes are beating the living hell out of this guy. Now, what happened next is kinda gruesome. I heard what I can only describe as drowning, choking screams and then a loud thump, crunch, and then nothing. I had literally witnessed a murder. As the other two guys are leaving, one of them says to me, you didn't see anything, did you? I replied back very quick, see, see what? I've never talked about this before, ever, not in therapy, not with my wife, just read it. You know, it, it feels good to get it out though. I never typed it out before. You know, it's something that's remained with me my entire life and it's something I'm never going to be able to forget. This next post is from Praying for an Asteroid. Damn, man, I've never been more grateful to have done time in a woman's prison after reading all of these freaking horrific stories. I've seen fights, I've seen a lot of fights, but the more disturbing thing I've seen was what I witnessed with one of my bunkies. She had a perennial tear. Now, she only gave birth shortly before being locked up, and it didn't heal right, and basically her vagina and her anus were one whole. I guess the longer it stays that way, the worse the opening gets. She started pooping out blood, and some sort of tissue was coming out of the hole. She said she thought it was a tumor, but I think something maybe prolapsed. She was denied medical care for like a year, and she dealt with extreme pain and fecal inconsistence the entire time, all while working on the hoe squad, which was basically hard labor out in the fields. The straight up negligence of the prison staff in dealing with people who clearly needed medical care was shocking to me. This next post is from Fatty Boy Blue. My dad, who is white by the way, told me about one of his stints in state prison when he got a bad haircut from his Hispanic barber. Now, apparently in prison every race has developed their own accommodations like this, but he crossed the line because he was friends with a Hispanic barber. 
And, well, for one reason or another, the Hispanic barber gave him a shitty haircut. And all the guys around the chair, they just started laughing at him. He said he knew how to act or else he would continue to be punked. So, he grabbed the scissors and stabbed the barber's hand right into the table below. He never got that shit again, and he never had to pay two cans of tuna for a shape up again. This next post is from Pool Downtown 79. New Orleans Paris Prison. I once watched a younger Mexican guy in his bunk get torn a new one by eight or so other inmates. The first guy's knee went on his neck, pinning him down, and rolled up sheets behind his knees stood on by two others. They ripped his orange jumpsuit off and they took turns using him for what seemed like over an hour before any guards came in to be nosy. Medical wasn't far behind and when they helped him stand up to get on the gurney for transport, all of his insides fell out on the ground at once. The mixture of shit, semen, and mostly blood had the most god-awful smell. Man, I guess the guy's been backed up for a while because they fed us beans and rice damn near every night for dinner, so you can only imagine. I asked the next day around, you know, what had caused all that? What happened? Well, turns out the Mexican was a serial child molester. He was convicted on 13 different counts. His first day in was his last day. Rumor has it, once he got out of surgery, he was strangled with an oxygen tube before being impaled with a broom handle. On the bright side, you could roll your own cigarettes and smoke in the yard. This next post is from Birds the Word. Craziest thing I ever saw was a dude that got killed by having his head bashed in on the concrete. That guy that killed him was actually one of his really good friends and they got into it over a joke slash misunderstanding. The killer set a mint stick down. You know like one of those big peppermint mint sticks that only cost like 10 cents on commissary. Anyway, in the day room, he set it down on the table and he went back to his bunk to get something. His friend, he thought it would be funny to play a joke on him and hide the mint stick. So when he comes back, he looks for it and he assumes someone took it. Now, in prison, someone stealing from you is basically them calling you a bitch or a hoe and it's equal to them thinking they can take other things. And yes, I'm referring to rape. I know it sounds crazy, but these are the unwritten rules of prison. Anyways, the killer called out the entire pod saying whoever took his mint stick is a bitch and a hoe, etc. Now this is when his friend jumps in saying, hey, hey man, you know, I got your stick. I got your mint stick. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's, it's, all, it's all good. Now the killer at this point, well, he's compelled to correct this after calling out the entire dorm because again, the unwritten rules of respect. Basically, the fight between them was so vicious, the killer ended up smashing his friend's head in on the ground. Life flight came, but it was obvious that he was dead way before medical even showed up. So a guy lost his life over a joke about a 10 cent mint stick. This next post is from Don John Dijon. The way prisoners were treated by the institution of jail, county jail in South Carolina. I did volunteer work to reduce my sentence. I quickly got promoted off the line to making special diet meals for people with, you know, medical or religious requirements. This one guy had his jaw wired shut. The book I worked at told me all the stuff he was supposed to get and eat, but we had none of that. My supervisor, a non-inmate civilian, told me to give him chicken broth for three meals a day. I had to steal from the guard's food, which was substantially nicer to feed him. You know, it wasn't a huge deal as I've already stole food from there to eat myself, but still, the guy was living off applesauce and whatever soups I could muster. 
Also, I got stung by a bee once, and my hand ballooned to the twice its normal size. It took me three days to see a nurse, and then two more visits until the nurse gave me fucking Benadryl. Fucking antihistamines are guarded like they're heroin. Add to the fact that the local sheriff that ran the canteen sold 10 cent packets of ramen for $5, and you can begin to see how utterly corrupt this place was. No one cares about inmates. Everyone thinks that they'll never be there and no one deserves it and blah, 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 and whatever they get's what they get. But you know what? That's just fucking crazy. It's all corrupt. This next post is from Rocco's Rant. I am by no means an ex-con, but I did get placed in county for a weekend for a DWI that I had when I was 21. This was during Hurricane Katrina and I was reading the paper at a table and on the front page had a bunch of cops on a military SUV looking vehicle. And a guy who legitimately looks like Charles Manson, he comes up and he sits really close to me and he starts saying, pop, 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 pop. I, I pretend I don't hear it. He then grabs the back of my neck and he whispers in my ear, I would kill every one of those fucking pigs. I glance at him, not knowing what to say, and I just nod. He then takes a pencil that he had in his pocket and he stabs it in my ring finger on my right hand. He must have been going for my hand, but I pulled away in time. It went sideways, not top to bottom. I still have the graphite marks from the entry and the exit wound. I shove him off his chair, I pop him in the face, and I just run to the first guard I could find, and I told him that this old motherfucker, he just put a pencil through my damn finger. The guard just told me to go back to my cell, and he took Charlie back to his. And wouldn't you know, I didn't hear from medical staff for about two hours. After I got stitches and bandages, they let me out. One of the weirdest fucking things to ever happen to me, but you know what, I can honestly say I never got behind the wheel drunk after this. This next post is from generic username 1776. This story is more funny than terrifying, and it was county rather than prison, but you know what, I'm gonna tell it anyways. So I was stuck in county for a month waiting on court. This was a big city, so it takes a minute. And as a bonus, the person who I was arrested over, it was a confrontation, has a son who worked for the state prison system and had a bit of a rank. So when my ass was processed, they plucked me out and tossed my ass into the loony bin on suicide watch. This meant being stuck in a communal unit with zero notion of privacy. Completely open air shitters, one television that was broken, packed in bunk beds, no reading materials, therapy programs designed for people with grade school mental capacity, and frequent visits from my Nigerian nurse. Oh, and since I was placed on administrative suicide watch, I got the bonus of being stripped of all of my clothing and all of my bedding, save a semi-see-through hospital sheet. Took a week to see a shrink so I could sign off to get my damn clothes back. Anyways, of the 30 or so mental cases crammed into that block, two in particular were very noteworthy. One of them was this white guy who sort of looked like Farva from Super Troopers. Now, this guy loved calling people the N-word. Every time those poor Nigerian nurses came around, he was compelled to call them that word every single time. The other one was a black guy. I'm gonna call him Wesley Snipes who decided the moment he arrived that he was training to be a Marine. Now, like this guy, he was hardcore. He was doing his PT routine every moment he could. He also had this look on his face that he was out to take your soul, like really hardcore. The dude was super intense all the time. 
you know, but later on, him and I ended up being cell buddies, and it turned out he was really cool. But at the time, you know, I just figured him for another head case. So one day, just shortly after I was deemed safe to have clothing again, the Nigerian nurses just got sick and tired of being called the N-word by Farva. So they had a chat with the guards. Now, this leads the guards to pulling Wesley Snipes out and having a brief chat with him. Things kind of continue on for a bit, and then suddenly, Wesley positions himself outside the door to Farva's block. And then, he just starts psyching himself up. Like, this dude was straight up channeling Mike Tyson sort of energy. Well, it was about the time that the more, you know, situationally aware of us noticed that the Nigerian nurses, as well as the guards, were not in the room. They had left. Suddenly, the door to Farva's unit opens up, and Wesley is immediately on Farva's ass. Now, to call it an ass whooping would be an understatement. Like, this dude beat Farva into eligibility for social security. This went on until Wesley Snipes was satisfied and he walked back to his cell block and he was let in. The guards and Nigerian nurses, they returned and they just went about their business like shit didn't happen. They let Farva lay there, all fucked up for a good little while before the Nigerian nurses finally brought a rolling bed and carted his ass out of there. Farva never came back. Now when it came time for the discussion on releasing me, the Nigerian nurses actually advocated for me on letting me go. Turns out being nice to people, doing a shitty, thankless job can pay dividends. I finally got the balls to ask what happened to Farva while I was processing out, and basically, they just patched him up and the guard sent him to General Pop on the idea that he was going to relive the ass beating if he can't learn to not say the n-word. This next post is from Cumbersome55. Woman here. Woman's prison, they're kind of different. Now, I don't care what you see in the movies and on reality TV shows, by and large, women behave themselves much better than men do. However, the most terrifying thing that ever happened to me was knowledge. I was newly transferred into an all-DOC woman's dorm and we had bunk beds. There were 48 women in there and 24 bunks. Now, I'd only been there for like a week, maybe two, when I got my first commissary order. I noticed that my bunkie, my bunkmate, did not get any food or pop. I felt sorry for her and I gave her a Pepsi and a Mountain Dew because my family fortunately gave me plenty of money on my books. One of the older girls took me aside and said, hey, why are you being so nice to her? She won't pay you back. She doesn't have any money. No one ever pays her. No one sends her money from the outside. I just said, hey, look, you know, I'm not that kind of person who gets bent out of shape over two sodas. You know, I don't really care if she pays me back or not. Giving someone a soda, maybe two, is not going to make or break me. The girl then says, what, wait, wait, you don't know who she is? And I had to say, no, honestly, I don't. I don't know who she is. Who is she? The girl then informs me that she is the bitch who burned down her house and killed five of her children for insurance money and is only doing time for insurance fraud. She is hated in here. And if you get caught being nice to her, you will be hated too. So. You, in here, doing soft time for fraud, you don't want to get mixed up in her shit. I'm telling you, be careful. And I swear to God, the kid killer, my bunkie, looked like fucking Rebecca from Sunnybrook Farm. Kinda chubby, red hair, freckles, glasses. I would have never known she was a child murderer. I assumed she was in there for maybe dope charges, white collar crime, things like that. It took me a couple weeks, but I managed to get switched out with another bunkmate. 
I did not want her reputation or her friendship in there. Fuck those connotations. Women who hurt children, their lives are made miserable too in prison. In a million ways. Assholes puckered. Yeah, everyone's clenching right now. Nobody wants to go to prison. A bunch of law-abiding citizens listening to this right now. Go in the speed limit. Not kicking your neighbor's ass, even though they deserve it. You know, anything to not go to prison. And if you do commit a crime, don't get caught. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Anyway, hope everyone's okay. Go watch a comedy, drink your water, and stay tuned for another fantastic episode of the Incredibly Mediocre Podcast, which is not going to take a month to do this time, okay? So calm the fuck down, Belgium, okay? Calm down. I'll, I'll get another one out there very soon. A few days from now. Probably a few days from now. Anyway, you know, uh, go watch comedy. Make yourself feel better. You know, get rid of that sadness inside of you. Um, and uh, yeah, do the thing. Tell your grandma, drink your water, and goodbye.